May be seated this morning. Middle schoolers, you are dismissed. They go upstairs to the youth room. They will follow Miss Eileen upstairs and they will have their lesson. The rest of us may be seated this may be seated this in the book of Ephesians. We'll be in chapter two. We're gonna cover verses one through five this morning. So Ephesians chapter two, if you'll turn there, verses one through five will be our text this morning. If you need a Bible, study God's Word with us, just raise your hand and Jerry will slip you a Bible. Also, as you're turning to the book of Ephesians, you'll find in the New Testament that I want to remind you, Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm scheduled this week to host Calvary Live on Grace FM from 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. So it's an opportunity for you to be a part of the show to call in and ask Bible questions or give a praise report or if you've got a prayer request, I'd love to hear from you and uh, for you to be a part of the show and uh, so Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, tell your friends about it. And uh, it's a live calling show, and I'll be taking questions. And I uh, would love to hear from you and have you ask questions concerning the Bible. So 4 to 5 o'clock Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. And uh, in the summertime, the calls kind of drop a little bit. And uh, so I'm just kind of reminding you, we're still here. We're still broadcasting. And uh, so you get an opportunity to do that, or you can text in. Uh, we'll give you the number, Grace FM 89.7. Love to hear from you. So even the kids had a nine-year-old call uh, a while back, and he wanted to know why God created people. And I, you know, pointed them to Revelation chapter 4. We were created for his good pleasures. And even in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 10, when we get to it next week, uh, we're going to see that the Lord created it, us because we are his workmanship created for good works in Christ Jesus. And he didn't like that answer. He said, I don't think you're right on that. So <laughs> I'm going to give you God's word. So anyway, he, he was great. So um, love to hear from the kids and love to hear from you. So Ephesians chapter 2, you should be there. So after Paul wrote about all the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ in the first chapter, realizing as believers that we are chosen, we are adopted into the family of God, we are highly favored with God, we are ones that we are joint heirs with Christ, we have obtained God's inheritance, and also we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then after Paul explains to us the blessings that are ours as a Christian, as we saw last week, he begins to bless the Christians of Ephesus by praying for them. And we looked at that prayer, the apostle, in verses 17 through the end of the chapter, chapter 1, uh, last week. And now as we travel into chapter 2 of this book, Paul's going to emphasize God's work among us beginning at verse 4 to the end of the chapter. But before we look at that, the apostle is going to explain to us in the first three verses of chapter 2 how sin worked against us. You see, it's very important that in the gospel message that we believe in and that we give to others, that we realize that sin worked against us. That's why Jesus came, to take care of the sin problem, to die for our sins. And we need to have God work for us, which he has. And so that's what we're going to see here as we travel through the first few verses of chapter 2 of Ephesians. Let's begin to look at that right now as we read in verse 1 of chapter 2. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So Paul, by the Holy Spirit, 
writes that before we came to Christ, we were dead in trespasses and sins. And the truth of God's word declares to us that at one time we were dead. Sin has killed us. The wages of sin is death. Now James describes death in the last verse of chapter 2 of his epistle that the body without the spirit is death. Now sometimes there's a debate among the medical community when exactly death has occurred. And the Bible declares that when the spirit has departed from the Bible, that is death. And that is physical death. But here in chapter 2, Paul is not speaking of physical death. He's speaking of spiritual death. You see, before we came to Christ and those who have rejected Christ presently, they very much, and we were very much alive physically, but spiritually, we were dead. People who are unbelievers today, they are dead spiritually. We were dead before we were born again by the Spirit of God. We were dead spiritually because of sin. People apart from Christ are dead, zombies spiritually. And you might remember when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, it was for me how I felt alive for the very first time. I didn't realize how much deadness was really in my heart and in my soul. But giving my life to Jesus, it was like, wow, all of a sudden I, I knew that God had saved me and made me a new person. And, and life was in my heart that I felt really for the first time in my soul. And that's because the Bible declares that before we came to Christ, we were in a state of deadness. That is spiritually, not physically. Physically, we were very much alive. And Paul describes that in verses 2 and 3, that first of all, before God worked in your life, you, verse 2 again, before we came to Christ, what was our lives like? Well, let's read that again. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You were walking, or that word in the Greek means to meander, just going back and forth, not going straight. It's kind of like, guys, when we go shopping, perhaps if you go up to Estes Park, which some of you may have done this weekend, or you visit some of the mountain towns and you go through the, the shops. I know my wife, she likes to go in the shops and meander. She, she loves to go in and enjoy the store and no real purpose, just enjoying the store. And I don't like to do that. I'll sit out on the you know, sidewalk, or if I do go shopping ever, if I have something to get, I go straight to that thing, and then I come right back, and uh, that's the way that we are, but when it comes to spiritually, we're kind of told that that's the way that we were before we came to Christ. We were dead spiritually because of sin, separated us from God. But physically, carnally, we are alive, and we just meandered after the course of the world. Just kind of existing. There's no real eternal heavenly promise to your life. You just follow the world's views and philosophies and the world's ways and the winds of the world. Kind of like a weather vane. In whatever direction the wind is blowing. That's the way that a lot of people without Christ, that's the way that they turn. Some of us that are older, we remember the old Bob Dylan song, The Answer is Blowing in the Wind. And that may be true for a lot of people that uh, don't have Christ, that whatever the latest trend, whatever the latest fashion and philosophy and political correctness, whatever the world accepts, Paul writes, at one time you were like that. You meandered as the winds of the world blew on you. And who was doing that blowing? Well, verse 2 is important for us to take note. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. People can think that Satan lives in hell, 
But reality and biblically, we know that Satan will be hell's victim. And, and he is here. In this world presently, the world is subject to Satan. He's the prince of the power of the air, as he's called by the Apostle Paul. The scripture also tells us that he's the God, the little g, of this age. So those who are spiritually dead and are not awake or alive or sensitive to the things of God, they are ones that are influenced by the enemy. Now, people who hear that, who are not Christians, that hear that from Ephesians chapter 2 and other places in scripture, they can be greatly offended by that. They can say, what do you mean? That you're saying that I'm evil and dark and, and, and full of great wickedness? Uh, being under the influence of the evil one. Don't just think of it as, yes, that is part of it. There is dark sin and great immorality and great wickedness that goes with that. But consider this. Because Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that Satan is also an angel of light. He's a liar, and he de he's a deceiver, and he deceives what the Scripture has to say. He deceives the whole world. Uh, he presents his views and his ways to get us to think in a way that is enlightening. He's going to try to do anything that he can to keep us away from the gospel or people away from the gospel, to keep them away from the truth that they need to turn to Jesus Christ. They'll try to, to keep people away from the truth of what God's word declares. And he is very good at deceiving. He's been doing it for a long time. So we see that person, all of us, we know that person that perhaps in our family or that we work alongside of or perhaps live next to. They seem to be such a nice person. They, they're kind, they're moral, they, they're a good person, people say, but they've rejected Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe they seem to be successful, and they're, they're known in the community, whatever it may be. But they're meandering in the world, which is influenced by Satan, the prince of the power of the air. And whether they like it or not, that is what God's word declares. They are dead spiritually. They are walking according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, Satan. And we see very clearly don't we? I don't have to, 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 to remind you of this, but Satan's influence in our world, we see it in such a, a great way. We, we see the increase of immorality, of pornography, crimes against our children, the violence, the acceptance of sin that we see in our society, people living and walking in sin. Paul here is, is giving us a very sad and tragic picture of man apart from Jesus Christ. And Paul's not done here. He still has much to say as we travel in the verse 3. And in Ephesians chapter 2, this is not a complete list of what is the spiritual condition of man apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that those who don't have Christ, they're blinded. Romans chapter 6, verse 17, that they're a slave to sin. John chapter 3, a lover of darkness. Mark chapter 2, verse 17, that they're sick, that is spiritually. And Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, they're under the power of darkness. That is the sad state of man apart from Jesus Christ. And what is sad is that people reject the will and the provision and the love and the forgiveness of God. And for those of us who have walked with God for a while, it doesn't always make sense to us. It doesn't always make sense. Why wouldn't you want to accept the provision of forgiveness of sin and eternal life that comes in faith in Jesus Christ, the one who loved us so much? Why wouldn't you want to accept that? But you see, Satan has deceived and blinded and lied to people so much about God 
the nature of God, the provision of God, the true state apart from God, that people don't submit to God. We see such a huge contrast here in verses 2 and 3 than what we read a couple weeks ago when we were going over chapter 1 in verses 4 through 14, the spiritual blessings that are ours. And that's why Jesus said concerning Satan that he's come to rob and to kill and to destroy. That's what he's about. And he's guiding the course of this world, a course that will ultimately lead to destruction. Listen, it's important for us to know that. Our hope is not in this world. It is not going to end up being lollipops and rainbows. It's going to end in a very terrible way. It's going to end in a way that if Jesus didn't come back, man would have destroyed himself. We see that very clearly, particularly as you read the book of Revelation. And people of the world followed the course of the world, not worrying or wondering where the path is going to lead to, no need to surrender to God through Jesus Christ. And the natural man, that is the unsaved person, will look at us so oftentimes and not understand what it means to be a believer. The pleasure, the delight to be submitted to God. They really may not care how our hearts have been changed. They don't know the joy of the Lord that we have, the blessings of God that are ours, the promises that we can stand on. They don't understand what it means to have fellowship with God, His Word that's in our hearts, and to know His love. And at one time, we were in Satan's boat, being blown around by him, about to be shipwrecked. And also we see our condition spiritually. Verse 3, as we read again, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You meandered after the course of the world, the apostle writes, being blown about by the father of life, Satan, but you also lived after the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Our lives at one time were ruled and dominated by the flesh. I spent my life trying to, to satisfy my fleshly desires. You can look at Solomon's life, Solomon, David's son, who reigned over Israel during his greatest prosperity. He built the first temple. And Solomon, as you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he talks about his life, trying to find the meaning of life, satisfaction in life. And he pursued it in so many ways, the way that people do today. He said, if I amass wealth... He was the richest man in the world. He had golden sandals. Had so much wealth that the silver in Jerusalem was, uh, was as common as rocks. And he looked at that wealth and he said, it's empty. It's all vanity. He gave himself to, to knowledge. He was a botanist. He, he wrote books. He was the smartest man in the world. And he said, this too is, is vanity. It's empty. He gave himself to building great buildings and monuments and had stables with over 400 horses. They've excavated them in Israel. It's like having 400 luxury cars in a big warehouse. And he gave himself to, to lavish parties. He gave himself to women. And he said, it's all empty. It's all vanity. Frustrating. Too much pain for me to take. And many people of the world try to find the meaning and purpose of life in the same way, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and mind in the world's pleasures. I'll live for myself, and people will find out what Solomon did, that it's all empty, and their hearts are empty. Here's something that we need to all understand, and I particularly tell young people, but it's for all of us. 
if you are going to live for and after the desires of the flesh, seeking to always please the flesh, living for our selfish desires, it makes for a terrible, terrible, terrible taskmaster. That's why you see those who perhaps can have fame and fortune and, and, and prestige, those who are famous and, and young people or any of us can look at them and say, I wish I was them. I wish I had what they had. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because God has a plan for you and he has a wonderful life for you. And oftentimes, many times, those of Hollywood and others, they'll live in bizarre lifestyles. They seem like to have it all. But the reason that they're living in bizarre lifestyles is because they're not satisfied or fulfilled in their hearts and in their souls. So you have this unholy trinity coming together, the world, the enemy, Satan, and our flesh, coming together to dominate our lives before we came to Christ. Who would save us from all of that? So the apostle really does paint this, this really dark picture of the state of man who does not have Jesus, the state that we were in at one time before we were saved. You were spiritually dead. You were dominated by the world Satan, the world with its outside influences, the flesh from within us and Satan from beyond. And, and we were born in that condition. We were subject to the wrath of God. Paul writes, by, uh, we by nature were that way. We were born in that condition. Sinners lost. You by nature, the children of wrath. Now, people of the world don't like to hear that. Particularly, I remember that years ago, we were witnessing to a um, family member that just had small kids, and they just had, you know, a young infant. And, and to explain the gospel that we're all born with a sin nature, and, and they didn't like that. Are you saying that our son, who's beautiful, beautiful baby, that, that he's born with a sin nature? Yes. Because when he grows up, you're not going to have to teach him to throw a fit. You're not going to have to teach him to be deceiving, to lie, to, to steal a cookie from the cookie jar, right? That's the sin nature that's in us. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells the truth of our condition. By nature, we are the children of wrath. We're dead because of sin and trespasses. What a hopeless state that we're in. What a mess that we found ourselves to be in. What a dark description of us before. Verse 4. But God. I have that underlined. But God who's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I'm so thankful, really, for the buts that are in the scriptures. Galatians chapter 4. We are in bondage under the elements of the world, the apostle writes. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman. Romans chapter 3. By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Really? But... Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, Jesus Christ. And here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, But God, he has rescued us from the mess that we are in, and he does something so wonderful that we who were dead, he now makes alive because of the Father sending his Son to die for our sins and to save us and to make us alive from the dead spiritual state that we are in. We're no longer children of wrath. We're no longer dominated by the flesh. We're no longer subject to the world and the deception of the enemy. We were in a hopeless state, but God, he rescued us. 
And it's a truth that we as believers get to rejoice in. And it's a message that we give to others. It's a ministry that you and I are to be about. We get to tell people, but God. People who find themselves in the bondage of sin. Those who find their hearts empty and wondering, what is the meaning of life? How do you truly find happiness in life, purpose in life? We get to tell those who are in bondage to the world and to the flesh, who have been victims of Satan's deception. We get to tell them, but God. The reason that you hurt in your heart and the reason that you feel empty in your soul, the reason that you're in bondage to sin is that you're dead, spiritually dead. But God has rescued us. He is rich in mercy and grace and has a great love for you. But God sent his son to die for you that you might have forgiveness of sin, right relationship with the Father, to be born again by the Spirit of God, a spiritual birth that to life that takes place when we come to Christ in faith. But God, but God, but God sent Jesus to save you. And it is a message not only to those who are spiritually dead, but it's a message for all of us that are here this morning who belong to God as well. You see, I want to bring it home just a little bit closer to us this morning. Because you as a believer, you might find yourself this morning in a difficult, hard situation or circumstance. Perhaps there, there are areas in your life that seem to be dead, that seem to be dying. Maybe perhaps you might be thinking your marriage. Genesis chapter 20. Abraham and his wife Sarah were traveling. They came to the area where the king called Abimelech, he was ruling. And Abraham told the king that, hey, Sarah, you, you, you know, is, Sarah is my sister. Sarah, that's what we're going to tell the king. Because when he sees how beautiful you are, he's going to want you and be in his harem. And so that's what Abraham did. He was willing to put the covenant and the promise of God to him and Sarah at risk. And instead of being a godly husband, he didn't stand strong for the Lord. He didn't say, listen, King Abimelech, bug off. This is my wife, Sarah. God made a promise to us. We're going to be the, you know, I'm going to be a father of a great nation. And those who bless us will be blessed. And if you curse us, you're going to be cursed. So there. We're going to stand on the promise of God. He didn't do that. So Abraham, he said, yeah, Sarah, just tell him you're my, you know, sister, okay? And he hunkered down. But in verse 3 of that chapter, chapter 20 of Genesis, it says, but God. But God came to Abimelech in a dream at night and he said, um, Abimelech, you need to restore Sarah to Abraham. Don't you dare touch her or you're a dead man. So that's what Abimelech did. And so Sarah was restored and their marriage was restored. And you might be thinking, perhaps, there's somebody here today that my marriage has been dying. Uh, my spouse, they're not godly. There's compromise. There isn't communication. Things aren't working out. And couples come to me. And there are problems. And there's a dying in their marriage. Maybe their marriage seems to be dead. There's no life in it, in other words. And I hear their stories and I tell them, listen, but God. But God who loves you and wants to bring forgiveness and restoration and healing and love back into your marriage. You look to him, you turn to him, you submit to him. And he'll do that work in your marriage if you allow him to do it. 
He will grow that love that you are to have for each other. God will do that day by day as you yield to him. He is rich in mercy and his love is great. You might be here today thinking, well, pastor, I got problems with my kids. They're rebelling. They're struggling. We have these problems. Well, it would be Abraham's grandson, Jacob. He had 12 sons. They struggled. They rebelled for, for being the patriarchs of the God's chosen people. They had problems, as you read in the book of Genesis. At the end of Jacob's life, he would say in Genesis 48, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back into the land of your fathers. And then the next chapter, he prayed for all of them. Listen, parents, grandparents, it is so critical in the day in which we're living in that you're praying for your kids. You bring them before the Lord. I know that it is difficult as children grow up, and there may be rebellion, they may have a temptation to pursue the things of the world, but you pray and remember but God. But God is with you. And he desires to work in you and in them. And Lord, I'm going to trust them and commit them to you. And I know that if there's anyone that can bring them back into the land, it is you, Lord. And he will bring them back to that place of turning to him. But you keep praying and sharing with them how much the Lord means to you and truth with them. And then parents, listen, you've got to be that godly example to them. Pastor, my family, it really is the pits. They come against me. They don't like that I'm a Christian. Genesis chapter 50. Joseph experienced that to where his brothers were so jealous of him that they threw him into a pit and sold him off into slavery. And as they're dividing up the money, the goods, they told dad, listen, he died, he's no more. And maybe you have those who are very close to you, family members, or those who are so close they seem like family. And because you become a Christian, they're saying you're no more. They won't talk to you. They hold you out at arm's length. They exclude you, whatever. And in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 7, verse 9, when Stephen was given his testimony, he said that the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. And God is with you, and you stand for the Lord. There are family members, others that are close to you that will come against you and it makes it very hard and it hurts. And I know that many of you have been through that or you are experiencing that. And God's word to you this morning is that I am with you just as I was with Joseph when his family came against him. And you pray for them and you let God work. And in Genesis chapter 50, when Joseph had saved his brother's family from starving, He had food to give them. And you have food to give. You have food to give. The bread of life. And we need to continue to trust God. And in Genesis 50, Joseph said to his family, you guys meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe there's a boss, maybe a coworker. Seems like they're out to get you. It seems like a Saul in your life. You know, Saul, 1 Samuel 23, he was pursuing David, chasing David down for years, every day. And, and you think, God, I got this guy. He wants to just lop off my head. 
And in 1 Samuel 23, it tells us, but God did not deliver David into the hands of Saul. God came through. Peter writes in his epistle in 1 Peter 5, saying, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But the God of all grace who called us into his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, will perfect and establish and strengthen and settle you. You being chased down? By the boss, somebody else, down by Satan, just as David was chased down by Saul. But God will strengthen you, establish you, settle you. It is God to the rescue in whatever situation you find yourself in, in whatever situation that you face. Maybe you're here today. Maybe there's somebody here and you're thinking, well, I'm going to be honest with you, Pastor. It's me. I feel like that I'm dying spiritually, that I'm drying up. I battle temptation. I battle the flesh. I feel like giving up. Judges 15. Samson. Just killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Great victory. But afterwards, he became very thirsty. He was parched. He cries out to the Lord. He says, shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And then we read, but God. But God split the hollow place and water came out. And he drank and his spirit was refreshed. Do you feel dry spiritually this morning? You feel like that you're going to fall into the ways of the world? Listen. Jesus said, if you thirst, come to me and drink. And out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. He said to the Samaritan woman that if you drink of this well, Jacob's well, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water, the living water that I have to give, you'll never thirst again. You'll never thirst again. Go to him. And as we go through life, listen, the Lord has rescued us. And he loves us and he has the answers for us. And his word is true for us. And we can stand on the promises of God and on his love and on his great mercy and grace that he has for us. Paul declares that spiritually, eternally, that we are in a mess. We belong to Satan. We are dominated by Satan. We are headed to hell with Satan. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Christ died that we might live. And when did God start loving us? Well, we've already talked about that. We know that he chose us before the foundation of the world. He didn't start loving us when we got our act together or we became sweet. No, he has loved us from eternity past as he demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5. God loved us while we were dead in our sins and God has loved us from eternity. There has never been a time when God didn't love you and there will never be a time where God doesn't love you. And you and I can proclaim like the psalmist David who says, Oh, how happy is the man whose transgressions are forgiven and how happy is the man whose sins are covered. How glorious it is to have God's forgiveness and to have life through Jesus Christ. Listen, Paul the Apostle writing to a carnal church, he would write as he was writing, actually in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, he said to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You see, I think Solomon did figure it out at the end. He went after the wealth. He went after the intellect, the building, the women, the parties. He had it all. You see, there was no bigger house to buy. There was no other investment to make. 
There was no other women to go after. He had it all. At least he thought he had it all. And then he ends it Ecclesiastes by saying, it's all empty, it's vanity, and let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. And a thousand years later, here comes Paul the Apostle, and he says something that is so profound and easy to understand. He says, listen, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for these rich verses that are given to us. And Father, as we come to the communion table here this morning, we know that it's a time of worship and wonder and awe of, again, your incredible provision for us. And Father, I do want to pray this morning. If there's anyone that is here this morning listening live stream or perhaps in the coffee shop or here in this sanctuary, that you've never come to Jesus, that you've heard the gospel, that apart from Jesus Christ, you are spiritually dead. Apart from him, you're in a hopeless state. But Jesus loves you so much that he went to the cross to die for you specifically, to give you life. He died for your sins. And now salvation comes by faith in him alone. Believing in the finished work of the cross, that he rose from the grave, and that he truly is Lord. He proved who he said he is, that he's the son of God who died for our sins. And you have opportunity to be born again by the spirit of God. It comes by faith, sincere faith in your heart, repenting, turning direction, and turning to Jesus and calling upon him. And you can do that right now. You pray right where you're at that Jesus, I call upon you to be my personal Lord and Savior. I confess that I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. Forgive me because you're the one that died for me. I thank you for your love for me. I believe that you rose from the grave and you're alive. And I now give my life and my heart to you for you to sit upon the throne of my life, the throne of my heart. Thank you for saving me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. And if you did pray that prayer, after service, I want to come, come up and just, as Jerry's going to be here praying with people, just tell them the decision that you made. But Lord, now as we come to the communion table, we know that as we hold the elements, this is remembering what Jesus did for us in a new covenant that we belong to, a covenant of love, a covenant of grace, a covenant of great mercy. So Lord, may we continue to just worship and just be hearts of gratitude towards you in Jesus name the ushers are going to hand out the communion elements I would ask that you hang on to them we'll partake of them together